Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Lando Lakers podcast. Brian Kamenetsky and Andy Kamenetsky. Uh, it is the Western Conference Finals preview, Andy. First time in a decade. Yes. Ten years on the dot. The last time the Lakers were in the Western Conference Finals. Um, also, the last time the Lakers won a championship. Yes. If you want to just... America's, America's long national thing. nightmare. America's long national nightmare of the Lakers not having the God-ordained success that we so richly deserve is oh, only mean, two steps from being over. In fairness, the last seven years have been legit lean. <laughs> Those, I yeah. mean, that's that's not like you know in 2006 when Laker fans were complaining that they'd only go one round and out, and that was considered this just modern day disaster. Last seven years have been legit shit. I mean, let's it's let's true. be real about that. Okay, but I think most most uh, fans still hate uh, Lakers fans for that. Um, Separate issue. Yeah. Joining us to break it all down against the surprising Denver Nuggets. Like everybody was, it was Clippers, Clippers, Clippers all year long. Um, and the Nuggets screwed that up for everyone, really. Or you could argue the Clippers did. I believe in Denver. Adam Morris, he is uh, with DNVR Sports. The DNVR.com does a great job with audio and with all the, the, the written content over there. He joins us right now. Adam, thanks so much for coming on. We really appreciate it. Well, thanks for having me. You guys have merely adopted the darkness. Uh, us Nuggets fans have been born in it. I was I was 30 years old before my first conference final. So, um, and now I'm 36 years old for my second one. So this is um, you, don't tell me about what your is, seven years of pain. What did you? It's it really it's really is like I didn't even grow up out here. This is just it, it is one of my favorite things to do is both troll Lakers fans when I get a chance to do it and kind of poke fun at the entitlement and then lean into the entitlement when we talk to other people. Right. Yeah, it's it's truly painful sometimes. See, like my, my I'm good friends with Anthony Irwin. We do a show together on the Lockdown Network, and he all the time will tell me, like, guys, this has been the roughest two-year stretch ever. And I'm like, dude, this is like an <laughs> average Nuggets stretch. I mean, come on. When you yeah, say yeah. You know, roughest two-year stretch, do you mean – your friendship with Anthony, or do you mean basketball? <laughs> I mean both. It, it's always coincide. Like Lakers' success and my friendship with Anthony are inversely correlated. Well, I, I imagine he can be pretty insufferable during the lean or the the great years. I mean, it's, no matter what, Anthony will find a way to lean into it and make it just brutal for everybody around him. Completely insufferable in the lean years. So, so now, right now, is tough. And now, going into the series with him, it, it's going to be even tougher. By the way, you know who has never experienced a lean year of any type? Delicious Pizza, the sponsor of the Lando Lakers podcast. Two locations, uh, the West Adams area, also Hollywood. Awesome, awesome pizza, great food. And if you go in right now, whether uh, ordering online or just dropping by, pick up, drop the password, Cam Brothers, 20% off. It is fantastic food, but also local business run by a massive massive laker fan so definitely yeah, so, support you know who else hasn't had any lean years in a long time anthony Irwin. <laughs> <laughs> oh <laughs> jesus brian that was uncalled for oh, but it was oh funny God. Love, you, love you anthony love you but Ooh. it was funny <laughs> mm. i'm that sorry was that was just, it was low-hanging fruit Ooh. that was just there Ooh. adam understands like how do you not spike that ball when it's just right there hanging Ooh. 
I think Anthony would understand. So I think I think he would do the same. Um, anyway, it's just a coincidence yeah. that he won't return our calls. Yeah. So the, the question I, I actually asked you, Adam, before oh, it was still funny. Uh, the the question I asked you before we actually started recording was was this one? I'll start here. Like, are you surprised that we're doing this show? Like, you know, previewing the Western Conference Finals for the Lakers and the Nuggets. If you would have asked me that two months ago, I would have said no. I mean, slightly surprised. I thought the Clippers, if Denver matched up with the Clippers in the second round, the Clippers had the edge there. So, but I wasn't, I wouldn't have been terribly surprised going into this playoffs if Denver would have overcome a team like the Clippers. But judging how it happened, looking just absolutely miserable against the Utah Jazz through the first three games, then dropping the fourth, a competitive fourth game and going down 3 1, I would have said no way. Falling back again 3 1 to the Clippers, I would have said no way. And I did say no way. Um, but Denver's resi- a resilient bunch, and I think Denver is a two-faced team. Most most teams have you know two sides. Everybody, every team has a good and a bad version of themselves. Denver's bad version looks like the version I think most people sort of expect out of them that don't you know watch them on a game by game basis. But their good version is very very good, as you saw, in, especially in Game Six and Seven against the Clippers when they get comfortable and they sort of figure something out. They can look like a world beater. One thing I think is really interesting, like the idea that Denver, they're clearly a surprise in terms of the general expectations heading into the playoffs. But at the same time, like I was recently looking back at some predictions we made for the athletic and I had Jokic as my MVP prediction Mm. and Denver is the number one seed. And Brian has been like one of the highest profile Denver Island residents for the last few years with no actual connection to Denver, the city. Yeah. And, you know, he also had Denver. That's also that's a bit of an indictment of the people who have been on Denver Island. I have to say, <laughs> if I am, if I am the standard bearer, that doesn't, but also, yeah, that's, that's not true. a great sign, but also too, like I ESPN, I, I was looking this up today. Like their panel had Denver as the pre consensus preseason, number one seed, like not winning, w- uh, finishing as the number one seed heading into the playoffs. So obviously there's been like, a respect yeah. for Denver as a team, but not necessarily a belief in them being able to rise past a certain point. So what do you think was either missing in terms of the team's perception when the season began or what got better as it went along? Well, I think everybody can point to Nikola Jokic showing up just in really overweight. It's crazy to think because he's the skinniest version of himself right now that the start of the season was the heaviest version of himself and his weight has fluctuated throughout his career anyway. Right. But he really reached, I think, the highest point and the lowest point within one season. It happens to be a 12-month season, but nonetheless, it still it just shows you how much things have changed. Denver, you know, I thought Denver had a very good year. Um, Jokic eased himself into the season a little bit, but Denver had a great record there. Denver had a, a, everybody on the roster get injured. Michael, uh, I'm sorry, Jamal Murray, Paul Millsap, Gary Harris, Will Barton. That's four out of the five stars. Just Jokic was the only one not injured for a stretch there in January. And Denver survived that pretty well. So I, it went under the radar. What happens in January and February is like probably the least relevant things. That's the, the most people kind of tune out to those second-tier teams. But Denver survived a really, really rough patch without you know dropping to like the six or seven seed. So I think they had a good year. They're still very young. I think I don't think many people nationally or locally expected Denver to be a true contender this season. This was still sort of the climb season for them, and I think it's kind of played out that way. What what click do you think with Jamal Murray? Because I, I, so much of the season has been taken up with wow, they're paying him a lot of money, and he's really good, but yeah. he's not that guy. And 
Jesus, he's been that guy in in, in the playoffs. You know, I think what he did, particularly against Utah, is going like, to go down in like the annals of, of NBA playoff lore. So what, yeah. what changed? Well, I, I have to confess, guys, I was not I was not on Jamal Murray Island. I was not a believer in Jamal Murray up until, I don't know, three weeks ago. I mean, really until game four or five, whatever it was, that he first started to go off in that uh, Utah series. And he was just tremendous. I think if you step back and look at his entire season, and especially these playoffs, his highs have always been pretty high. Um, his consistency has been the problem. And I think that's true of most point guards, you know, especially 22, 23-year-old point guards putting all the pieces a lot of times the game comes to you piece by piece and I think this playoff run in particular has been when all of that has kind of come together as both a facilitator and as a scorer he's often been one or the other I think he now is kind of going back and forth between which role is needed out of him very very comfortably very smoothly everybody talks about that 40 point game in game seven against the Clippers the two ones that led up to it the scoring numbers weren't great. 12 assists, but only two turnovers. And just sometimes just getting the ball to your best player in comfortable spots, is that's that can be you know elite basketball. And he did a great job of that in that series. So I think it's just all uh, the combination of a bunch of things coming together. But the one, if I could point to one skill that I think really stands out, it's three-point shooting. Jamal Murray only took about five three-pointers per game this season. An insanely low number. I think Kelly Olynyk takes more three-pointers than, than that. And so you think of him as this three-point shooter. He just, for whatever reason, I don't think was recognizing the spots where that off-the-dribble three, especially out of the pick-and-roll, was opening up for him. In the playoffs, he really got comfortable with that shot, an incredible percentage on high volume on that off-the-dribble three off of the pick-and-roll. And I think if you point to just one skill, that would be the one skill that he's really discovered. How would you describe the personality of this team, like collectively, especially in terms of the resiliency that we saw over the last two rounds? Well, number one, it's extremely understated. And I think that's part of why this team throws people off is they don't have a lot of personality. Richard Jefferson was on this team two seasons ago, and he said it was the most boring team he's ever been a part of. (laughs) You got Jokic, who's, you know, I think the media likes he's kind of goofy and funny, but he's quiet. Gary Harris doesn't, I never heard him talk. Same with Jeremy Grant. Um, Jamal Murray, I think, is is a tough one, but he's a quiet, and he can be, you know, a little exuberant on the court or this or that or, or, you know, performative, but he's, I think, a pretty quiet personality as well. So, you know, they're quiet, they're understated, but they are certainly resilient and, and connected. I think especially right now, if you just watch how they're playing, all the assists, all the ball movement, everybody just kind of reading each other. It's a very connected team. And that's sort of their strength is they've been together now for it's been a five year process. Gary Harris been on the team I think seven years. You got Jokic who's been on the team wow. now for five for five. Actually, that's say six for Harris, five for Jokic, four for Murray. So it still seems like a while, where man. Like, go? Yeah, I know. But it's you watch these guys basically all grow up together. It has a very I don't know if you saw some of the videos that the Nuggets themselves posted out of the post-game locker room celebration. They look like a college team. They look like a college team racing to the final four where everybody's hugging and it's just it's a I mean, very Jesus, if you asked me, has Gary Harris been in the league six years? I'm not hundred percent sure I would have said yes. Yeah, 2014. <laughs> like, oh I know it's wow. wild. It's wild. 2014 was that long ago. It's just weird. Like that's that's kind of crazy. But yeah, they they are a young team, and they're 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 if nothing else so far, they seem like they could be a real just sort of tribute to what it means to to maintain continuity and and to just have patience. 
If you, if yeah. you actually believe in what's in front of you, have patience to actually build it. And sometimes, even if you don't believe what's in front of you, I think sometimes just giving a long runway to grow. That's if if there's one thing you can describe this era of Nuggets basketball. You know, they fired Josh Kroenke took over the team. They fired uh, George Carl after he won Coach of the Year. They went with Brian Shaw. They made another move. I think after they settled on Michael Malone, Tim Conley. Those guys had a couple rough years to start, and I think a lot of t- if you're the Phoenix Suns, you probably change course and say, okay, well, that didn't work. We gave it a year. That didn't work. Let's go somewhere else. Those guys have been able to make success, long-term gambles and make a few short-term mistakes with a long enough runway to say, okay, let's see how this pans out, and I think that that combination of the players they brought in, the front office that they've stuck through, through good moves and bad and long-term mm-hmm. moves and short-term, and then the coaching staff that has – you know, Michael Malone only had a season and a half under his belt when he was the, became the Nuggets coach. Less than a season and a half. Now he's sort of an experienced coach, and you don't get there if you only give a guy one year to kind of prove himself. So, like, in that sense, like, because I, I always say, like, you know, I, I I, I really shouldn't even say it. I mean, I think most of, of America has probably forgotten about it now. But, like, during, when the Nuggets were down, you know, 19 or whatever it was in game five, you know, yeah. before they were down 16, before they were down right. 12. And the clear, I said, like, you know, it looks like there really is, you know, I love Denver, but like there are two teams that are just a little bit better than everybody else in the conference. Yeah. And, but Denver is in that category of a, of a team that still has space to grow. If you're, if you're Houston, you're screwed because you can't get better, but Denver can still get better. So that, you know, right. Dallas can get better there. Does this put them ahead of schedule? Cause they still have some flexibility to make, uh, to do stuff. Will Barton hasn't played at all in the playoffs, which is a crying shame because I love Will Barton as much as any player in the league. Um, you know, they they have depth down the roster. Yeah. You know, Ball Ball looks like he could be a good yeah, player. So like they've got flexibility. Are they are they ahead of schedule then, would you say? I, I think so. So if you lose to the Utah Jazz as they very well could have in that first round, I think you say, okay, we're behind schedule. If you get knocked out by the Clippers in a somewhat competitive series, I think you say we're on schedule. The fact that they overcame a 3-1 deficit against a you know, team that was thought of as superior and probably should have been superior to them, to, and now whatever happens in this conference finals, to me, it's great experience. I mean, you can't simulate the conference finals in training camp. This is a lot of guys getting a look at how hard it is to go up against the best, to go up against LeBron James. Okay, this is what it takes now to, to get to the finals. So whatever happens here, I think, yeah, you have to say they are ahead of schedule and very few teams, I think, can win off of two great players. If those players are LeBron James and Anthony Davis, probably, because those are two extremely mm-hmm. great players. But you have to have a third sort of option in there. And I think Michael Porter Jr. for Denver represents that down the line. He's not going to be a huge factor, I don't think, in this playoffs and in this upcoming series. But he represents that potential of, oh, wow, this could be a 20-plus point-per-game score in short order and really provide a different look for this Nuggets team. When you start thinking about the matchup and everything that happens on the court, where are the target areas that you think the Lakers would attack in terms of weaknesses, either uh, individually or team weaknesses, that sort of thing? So I think the number one thing people um, mischaracterize about the Denver Nuggets is that they're a bad defensive team. I think they're a very good – they just limit – I think the Clippers scored under 100 points three times in the series. Denver is a really bad spread pick and roll defensive team they're really good at everything else including post defense you know rebound one of the best rebounding teams in the nba you spread them out and run pick and roll that you're making Jokic do the most difficult thing for any center let alone a non-athletic center 
And if you can put a above the rim player rolling to the rim and a good decision maker and especially an athletic player in the pick and roll guard spot, ball handling spot, then you can really put them put some pressure on them. So I know de- the Lakers do a lot of different things. They can score a lot of different ways. But I think when push comes to shove, you run the Anthony Davis-LeBron pick and roll, and I'm not sure how Denver defends that. Actually, I am sure they're going to collapse really hard on those guys and hope that nobody makes any shots because that's your best bet is that Danny Green is, has a bad series or Kyle Kuzma has a bad series. And uh, Because if you just try to guard that straight up, LeBron and Anthony Davis are going to dis- absolutely destroy Denver in the pick and roll. And that's that's actually, I think, one of the interesting things that we're going to see out of this is is the lineup question because uh, looking at some some da- some stats that that Anthony Slater posted up over at the Athletic, if you break it down in the games, the four games against Denver this season, um, that includes the the you know the one in the in the bubble that the you know the Lakers or really it was the Lakers were playing their lineups and uh, Denver wasn't. Denver played the second half of that game with with reserves. Right. Uh, but AD AD on the court with JaVale, uh, 52 minutes, Nuggets outscore the Lakers by 18. AD on the court with Dwight, 42 minutes, it's a net zero. AD on the uh, court with neither of those guys. Denver, uh, the Lakers outscore Denver by 34 in 56 minutes. So it certainly looks like, at least just based on that, that the Lakers might go to something like they did against Houston where – you're still pretty big with Marcus Morris or still pretty big Marquee. with Kyle Kuzma. I'm sorry, Markeith Morris. Mark, well, as we discussed, Andy, the option is now there for the old switcheroo. Because <laughs> we, well, we had played this out. We had played this out, but when we were talking about this as a potential option for the Lakers, it was when Marcus was definitively outplaying Markeith. That's the true. Way th- the way things have been going, uh, especially in the last series against Denver – I'd probably keep the Morris we have. I was going to say, hey, Marcus Morris is the MVP for Denver of that Clippers series, man. <laughs> that, that series turned at the exact moment he got in Paul Millsap's face. And from that moment on, Denver took over the series. All right, so we'll keep our Morris. They're, they're, that ends the old <laughs> switcheroo. Um, so, you know, where you go with Markeith uh, Morris or you go with uh, with Kyle Kuzma and you leave the, the, the centers essentially on the bench for a little bit longer um, – that what you're talking about there, Denver's inability to to defend the spread pick and roll, that would encourage that kind of lineup. Yeah, and I think that's going to be more of, of like a death lineup for the Lakers than it is going to be their goat their their main lineup. And what I mean by that is, if if I look at this from Denver's perspective, you if you can if you can erase Jokic or limit even just reduce him by ten percent, Lakers have this series. I mean, it really comes down to Jokic is going to have to overcome. LeBron James and Anthony Davis, you know, Murray can have a series, but they're going to have to have their best player really, really break out. And I think Dwight Howard and JaVale McGee both have a role in there, but especially Dwight Howard, because Jokic struggles with that type of strong and athletic big. And when I say struggles, I just mean, again, it's it's not going to be Zubats, right? It's not going to be him just doing whatever he wants on the post. So I think playing big for a majority of the game, but finding those pockets to blitz Denver for four-minute, five-minute stretches, maybe even close games with that small lineup, to me, that's more how it's going to work. Murray shot the ball. You know, the, the three-point shooting has been just, like, nuclear in, in the playoffs. He's, I, mean, I think he's yeah. still over 50%. And Jokic has been sneaky good from three too, because you know he had a pretty down year from the three point line, you know, in the low thirties for a guy who's you know kind of has a reputation as a shooter. Has been well over forty percent in the playoffs. Does that can can Denver win if those percentages slip precipitously? 
Probably not. I mean, a lot of this has to do with what it was. If those guys are just missing shots, if they're getting the same looks but missing them, then no. If the Lakers are overextending themselves to try to blitz or trap, as the Clippers did against Jamal Murray, they said, okay, he's going off. We're, we're going to throw a lot of bodies at him. Denver attacked four on three, and that's Jokic's best skill is attacking a defense four on three. So it depends on how those shots are, are not going down. If it's just open looks and they're missing them, then, then no chance. But I will say this. Look at Jokic's three-point percentage last year in the playoffs. It skyrocketed above 40%. You look at his three-point percentage in fourth quarters or of close games, it's 40%. I, I actually kind of have this theory that Jokic is a good three-point shooter when he's committed to taking three-point shots, which is when he needs to take three-point shots. Yeah, speaking of Jokic, I, I was listening to the latest uh, Locked on Nuggets that you did with uh, Matt Moore, and shout out to Matt Moore. known him for a while. It's a good dude. Um and you, one of you, I don't remember which, noted that Murray has been in the 50-40-90 club for the playoffs. And, you know, obviously that's incredible company if you can maintain that. But then I was looking at some numbers, and I noticed that for the playoffs, Jokic has been in the 50-40-80 club. Right. Which, yeah. for a big man, is that's astounding. Pretty, pretty unheard of. Like, just, you know, positionally, it, noting that mostly just to point out how well he's been playing along those complete lines but that that uh being put out there I wanted to ask specifically about the way Denver uses uh Jokic in the high post along the arc that sort of thing because I, I think in a lot of ways that's going to dictate the matchups that the Lakers use and, and how they go about trying to stop him well, the nice thing about Jokic is you really can use him in any spot on the court. I mean, he's a great – they play through him in the post a lot. And, if, you know, one-on-one, -on -one, he's going to score on most guys. Double him, he's going to make the right read. Play him at the elbow. You play him as the ball handler in the pick-and-roll. One of Denver's best actions is him as the pick-and-roll ball handler, Jamal Murray as the screen-and-roller or screen-and-pop guy. Um, and then, of course, that dribble handoff game has been a staple of Denver's offense now since Jokic arrived where he's sort of hunting – for who to hand the ball off to and set that screen and roll and, and play that action. So w when Denver's at their best, they segue from one action to the other. And I think when they've struggled is when teams have successfully taken them out of something and said, no, you're only going to post up now. You're only going to be on the elbows. We're not letting this other action happen. And I suspect that the Lakers will have some success with that. Dwight Howard, very, you know, he's going to guard him in the post a little bit. Anthony Davis is going to make his life difficult in the post a little bit, maybe enough that you don't have to help out, and maybe enough that Denver doesn't say, okay, we're just going to dribble down and post Jokic up 30 times today. So um, there's a variety. They can do a bunch of different things, they, and Jokic just being out there always bends the defense in ways they're not familiar with because nobody else really plays that way. What, what about a little bit further out, though, just in terms of like, like towards the three-point line, stuff like that? Because I, I think – in, in terms of defensively and, and the personnel yeah. that you would need to have out there, I, I think in a lot of ways, the the closer you have Jokic to the three-point line operating that way, not even necessarily as a shooter, but if there's anything he's operating in terms of running the offense, stuff like that, I think that could actually dictate the personnel for the Lakers. Sure. I mean, if he's – and this has happened, especially early on in series, and this is why I say I think Jokic is a better three-point percenter shooter than his regular season numbers is he takes a lot of those deliberately. It's like, it's like it's in his head that, hey, I'm taking six threes tonight. Three of those are going to be in the first quarter because I got to – I got to knock these down or else those guys are going to sag in the paint and nothing else opens up. So you're absolutely right. I'm curious if the Lakers try to take that away right off the start 
a lot of teams guard him like a 30% three-point shooter, especially in this playoffs, and saying, well, let's see what he does. Let's see if he makes them. To your point, he's shooting, I think, like 46% or something in this playoff. So if I, I don't know if the Lakers say, hey, let's not let him do that. Let's, let's assume he's going to be making those if he's guarding them and extend on, on him. The nice thing for the Lakers is that they have bigs that are mobile enough to, to kind of do both when they're, when they're kind of playing at the top. But here's a crazy stat for you that I looked up the other day. Jokic has made more three-pointers in this playoff run than Dirk Nowitzki ever did in the playoffs, including his run to the championship. I know it's a different game, Whoa. and I think it points more to the, how just different the game is. Jokic has made 37 threes. Dirk in 2011 made 27. That is crazy. Wait, what? Isn't that insane? <laughs> Wait, what? Look it up. You just, you just made Andy's mind explode, Adam. Dirk only – say that one more time. So if we look at Dirk's career total three-point – three-pointers made Jokic has made made more in 2000 actually Dirk's Dirk's highest playoff three-pointers made was 27 he did that in 2003 Jokic has 37 Jokic has 37 he has made 10 more than than Dirk ever did it's wild more than Carmelo Anthony ever made as well in a Denver Nuggets jersey so it's a lot of this just has to show you it's 10 years and this is how much the game has changed now Wow, that is that is crazy. Carry um, on. I, I just <laughs> damn. Yeah, that is crazy. I, I was looking at some 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 cool stuff on uh, Basketball Index from uh, from Cranjus so that was kind of breaks down what the Nuggets do offensively, and you know, there's you know, obviously a lot of success with Jamal Murray as um, as a, a just just isolating Jamal Murray. Like, there's very efficient possessions based on what he's been doing. Uh, the the Murray uh, Jokic pick and roll has been effective and all that. One of the other ones though has been Michael Porter Jr. kind of isolated by himself and, or, and then also being used as a, as a spot up guy. Um, what what becomes of him in the series? Because he, from a scoring standpoint, from a big shot making standpoint, obviously was huge against the Clippers. But you know the efficiency was not always there, and defensively, um, a couple high profile plays aside, like in the flow of a game can be exploited, I think is fair to say. What do you think, what role do you think he plays and how good does he need to be for Denver to to pull an upset here? Well, Denver, I think Vegas has him as five or six to one underdogs. And I think that's, I mean, that's just accurate. I, Vegas isn't usually wrong on these types of things, although they did have similar numbers for the Clippers. But there's a reason Denver is so is such an underdog. They need all of their guys to play a little bit above themselves. And that includes a Michael Porter Jr. who is feast or famine for the Denver Nuggets. He was really exploited defensively by Donovan Mitchell in the Utah Jazz. I thought less so in the Clippers series, in part because I don't know why the Clippers didn't attack him. They just didn't. LeBron James knows how to attack weak links. If he's on the court with LeBron James, I mean, LeBron is, oh, I know what to do here. You know, like, let's get the guy switched out onto me and let's attack him. And that's going to be, that's going to go really rough. I was watching that game from the bubble with Denver versus LA in the bubble. And as much as that was weird, you know, Bull Bull played a lot of minutes, Kata Bates, I mean, it was, it was, I don't know how good of a sample size that is. Michael Porter was on the court guarding LeBron for a few possessions, and I think he fouled on every single one of them. So, <laughs> uh, so that's going to be a matchup that, you know, I, I, I'm going to guess that Michael Porter Jr. has a very feast or famine opportunity, which is to say if he's on the court and LeBron is just going right at him and just picking him apart, he's not going to be able to play a lot of minutes in this series. But Denver needs him to be able to play because they need to come up with 110 points. And I don't know that you can count on Gary Harris and, you know, Paul Millsap and some of these other guys to get you the 15 points per game that 
that it requires for Denver to get up that high. What's the latest with Will Barton in terms of his potential availability? So we'll probably find out a little bit more today uh, at 2.30 when Denver does their media availability. But to this point, there has no, been no report of him entering the bubble. So even if he were to have arrived here in the last day or, or two, you you probably have to quarantine for four days at least. That's that's kind of what it would look like now. And Is he into like, lemon pepper chicken wings? Do you, do you have any <laughs> idea like, in terms of how he's treated this period outside the bubble? If I, th- if I know what you're asking, uh, I think he's very into lemon pepper wings. Is he into getting his lemon pepper wings responsibly? <laughs> you know, I, I honestly don't know. There, there were reports from Chris Haynes, who's very close with, with Will Barton about um, how he's been in Miami taking tests every day so that he could be do the right. short quarantine should he return. Um, but here's the other thing. We're two months into a playoff run. Trying to get a guy who hasn't played for six months up to speed, not just first-round speed, but Western Conference final speed on a team, by the way, that's kind of grown more connected into the rotation they've established. I just don't know. Gary Harris joined the team in that first round, but Gary Harris is a defensive specialist and a low-usage offensive player. Will Barton is much more of a, hey, we need you to create something now. You're going to handle the ball in pick and roll, and I just think that's harder to integrate on the yeah. fly. So I don't. I wouldn't expect Will Barton to be a huge factor, if any factor at all. In this right, just it just makes me sad because, like, I my basic theory of life is that we should all love what we do as much as Will Barton loves playing basketball. Oh yeah, like, I mean he's he's one of just the most delightful people to watch play. He's very much like Jamal Crawford for me in that way. Just loves absolutely. So obviously loves basketball, and I I, I just love him for it. He will be one of those guys that's playing until he's seventy years old, maybe maybe <laughs> older. He'll just be out on the court shooting, you know, uh, spot up threes. Uh, and, and and you're right, he is fun. He has kind of an, this old schoolness to him, you know. Like he has this like he plays it at a with moves nobody else uses. You know, he just kind of moves differently than anybody else in a way that's kind of fun. From your perspective, who do you think enjoyed the Nuggets defeating the Lakers more? Nuggets fans or Lakers fans? The Clippers, you mean? The Clippers, the yes. Clippers, yeah, yeah. Um, I think, I think, man, that's a tough one. <laughs> that's a really tough one. Because there's been, a, it seems like there's been a lot of joy uh, spread around there. Here's what I would say: Nuggets fans enjoyed watching the Nuggets beat the Clippers more. Lakers fans enjoyed watching the Clippers lose more. I, I should say, I could say it that way. Um, for Denver fans, it was a proud sort of watching this team grow up and be tougher. This is the thing I love about it. If, what did everybody say about the Nuggets? They're soft, in large part because they have this big European guy, and I think that's really what it comes down to is, the, oh, he's European. must be soft. He's a, Well, he, I mean, no, in fairness, though, because that is the stereotype, in Jokic's case, he is, in a lot of ways, literally soft. Oh, well, he is <laughs> doughy. Yeah, he is doughy. You to poke him, he's soft. I tell people this all the time, though, man, and I think it's catching on now as people kind of get to know more and more Serbians and and, and, oh. uh, and Balkans Ooh. in the league. Like, these guys culture. are not, hey, man. No, no. I think Jokic no, has that. a story do growing not. up where his brothers tied him to the wall and threw knives at him. <laughs> yeah, do not fuck so, with those people. I no, mean, I don't all. do that with Brian. I mean, right, it's exactly. that yeah. unusual. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe the, maybe the discrepancy is the size of the knife. Right, but, exactly. Know, I mean, yeah, that, that was yeah. a Tuesday for Brian and me growing up. <laughs> no, th- those are not people to be trifled with. I, I, I think, I think people get that. Yeah, and and so that was what was cool is not just seeing Denver beat this Clippers team, but to really out tough them and break them. I and mean, everybody's had a lot of fun with that Clippers team choking, and they did. But 
Denver had so many chances to choke in the way that they did, just to kind of fall behind and just completely fall apart and start missing shots. And Denver, every time they fell apart, everybody stepped up and started making their shots and just kind of got tougher and more resolute. So to them, for them to do that against the team full of dogs, the team full of guys who are tough and this or that, it's like it was very. That part was very rewarding. Um, I, I want to ask you before we, we we get going, like the the Mike Malone factor here, because. I, I think that, you know his respect level among players in the league. You know LeBron yeah. gushes about yeah. Malone, yeah. Um, and LeBron is not a guy who you know he'll he you know he knows to say the right thing about you know your own coaches this and that. He doesn't just all, you know offer unsolicited praise um, for fun. Uh, he he just gushes about Malone. What what role do you think he plays in terms of? giving Denver an extra, you know, 2%, 5%, whatever there might be to, to, to make whatever changes along the series to give them a better chance. Well, he was really good in that second round um, uh, in particular, just with kind of having his finger on the pulse of what needed to happen game by game. I felt like Denver was always ahead of the Clippers in that round. So, mm-hmm. uh, But I think the m- number one point is what you said. Michael Malone, to me, is more defined as the leader of the team than he is as the tactician of the team. He There's a reason. You said mentioned LeBron. Chris Paul also loves him. DeMarcus Cousins loves him. Like Every time any of – Isaiah Thomas, any time of these former players come in – they, you know, they they just gush about Michael Malone and talk about uh, what kind of guy and coach he was because I do think he is a player's coach. And you talk about Denver's number one trait going into the series, and it's less of an advantage in, against the Lakers than it was the Clippers. They're just so connected. And again, watch those videos. And I'm I'm only using these videos because they're fresh on my mind. But you watch those videos. Michael Malone picks Jokic up off the ground after in the locker room after the game. Kind of almost carries him over his head. Uh, and it's just that kind of relationship. I don't know that every coach has with the players in ways both good and bad. But that's very much what Michael Malone is. He is he is one of the guys with them in a way that that really works. Jeez, I, I'd read that Mike Malone is like a fitness maniac, and you know that he's been going at it in the bubble. But my God, lifting up Jokic! So you have to see the photo because it's actually <laughs> hilarious. It looks like JJ Barea holding up Boban. I mean, it's a hilarious photo. <laughs> I mean, seriously, like that's no small feat. They like, like that's the equivalent of when you know the tiny WWE wrestler picks up Andre the Giant right. for, the, for the body slam. That that's pretty impressive. It's wasn't there a bounty on that, Andy? I don't mean to get sidetracked. Yes. But remember, there was a bounty yes. on if you could body yes. slam Andre the Giant. Yes, yes, that was like that <laughs> okay, was. I'm not thing. making that up. Yeah, that if if memory serves, that was like an old school WWF thing. Like you, you'd get, I don't know, some type of reward if you could slam Andre. That's funny. Um, well, this is going to be a fun series, man. It, it was Troy Daniels' destiny to end up part of the Western Conference Finals more there than any other player in the league. Secret weapon, Troy Daniels. He has him scouted already. He, he knows all the plays. He knows all their – nobody can shut down the LeBron AD connection like like Troy Daniels. The call is, <laughs> the call is coming from inside the house. Um, <laughs> what, what? So what do you think? Like, you know, you've seen Denver obviously up close uh, much more than either of us. Uh, we, you know, we watch through the playoffs and I, I just generally love watching the Nuggets play. I think they're, they've been fun all year long. Um, but you know, kind of knowing what, you know, what do you think happens in this series? Um, I still think the Lakers are heavy favorites. I mean, how many times have we seen LeBron in my lifetime? How many times have we seen LeBron lose in the playoffs ahead of the finals? I don't, I had, I was just a young pup with last time it happened. So, um, I'm still taking the Lakers. I think Lakers in six, I would say Lakers in five and a half. Um, but I'll go six since I'm from Denver, and I, if they win, I want to say, hey, I was close. 
Um, but they're underdogs. Denver's been very good at underdogs. I think they were better as a team and individually in the second round than they were in the first. And that's the most important symbol, signal for a young team is that they're going through this and they're actually getting better. If Denver is better in the third round than they were in the second, this series might get a lot lot closer. But now you're talking about Jamal Murray just made a leap. We need him to make another one. You know, well, I don't know if I'm counting on that, but I'm also not fully counting this Nuggets team out until they die. Yeah, I, I think Lakers in six sounds about right. I mean, unfortunately for Denver, the Lakers are not a team that are that are wired to look past anybody. Like they, they're not going to be unfocused. And you know, the Clippers clearly were, if not looking past Denver, they just weren't taking, frankly, the playoffs seriously enough and the season seriously enough. The Lakers from the beginning of this season have been really dialed in. Yeah, I think that's an so, important point. Like, un- unfortunately for Denver, like the I, the Lakers are not going to, I think, fall into the trap of already thinking about Miami or Boston. I just yeah. don't see that happening. One thing about the Nuggets is Jokic, the, one of their biggest advantages is that Jokic is the smartest player on the court most of the time. I don't think he is when LeBron's on the court. I'm not even sure. You know, you also add in guys like Rondo, and you know, yeah. I know the Lakers fans have been up and down on Rondo, but he's a smart player. It's you can't always trick. Uh, Jokic isn't going to be tricking Rondo with some of the stuff that he tricks. That's before we had player. playoff Rondo, Adam. Hey, well, I mean, playoff you know, Rondo, regular Rondo. Rondo, yeah. Right, but I mean playoff Rondo. That, regular that regular Rondo, Rondo sees like the buying play, magic beans just, and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> what, so anyway, playoff. I think that's one of the big disadvantages for yeah. this is that Jokic is usually the smartest player, and I don't know that he is in the series. Yeah, I think there's a game where the the, the Lakers have to adjust. You know, to to the it, it is a, a profoundly different look with with Jokic and, and and Murray leading that as opposed to you know the Harden Westbrook thing and the really the guard heavy um, offenses that they've been seeing throughout the playoffs. And and Denver's got a lot of depth and they play with a lot of energy and I, I, they're a good team. I'm kind of like I'm kind of with you, Adam. I feel like six shading to five rather than shading to seven yeah um you know do you get those games do you get more than one game two games where uh murray goes nuclear um you know do you get a game where porter gets 26 27 they probably win that game um and then you know but for the lakers do you get the same kind of you know market uh, markeith i keep doing this markeith morris shot over 50 percent, i think from three in the houston series after just being awful from you know from the perimeter basically to every moment up to so there are some places where the lakers could take a step or two back but ultimately you're talking about are lebron and ad going to continue doing what they've been doing at the level they've been doing and i don't necessarily see how denver prevents that from happening and if it does the lakers i mean still have the two best i love Jokic, but they still probably have the two best players on the floor especially from a a two-way standpoint so Generally, in the NBA, that that's that's a winning yeah. formula. So I'm with you. I'll say uh, Lakers in five and three quarters. Um, I think they'll be up in in game six. They'll just stop early. I think we'll we'll just say we'll say you can't do that with Denver. Not yeah. not with Denver specifically. You have to play the game out. Yeah, that's true. Maybe the Lakers just won't make the mistake of going up by too much. Like they don't they that's won't the hit key, that trigger point. Right. That's the yeah. key. Don't get up three one, man. If you're you're two one, you got to drop a game. Oh, I already tweeted that out. If you're up 2-1, you punt game four. You just throw you that thing it. away. You do not go up 3-1. It, in all seriousness, though, the 
Nuggets have a, a little bit snuck up on the Jazz, as weird as that is to say, because they fell behind and then came back. And then they definitely snuck up on the Clippers, who who took their foot off the gas. I, that's not going to happen again. I mean, I think, to your point, their Lakers are more built to say, hey, we need to put this team away. We need to get rest, this or that. But also, just the, the secret's out on Denver. They're very good with their back to the wall. You gotta that, That's when you have to fight the hardest against Denver. Um, all right. Well, it, it's going to be a really I, fun series. Um, I, the LA didn't get what they wanted, I think, in the uh, Lakers Clippers series. But in the end, did, did they really? I think we kind of did. They, like they did, did, but they did. Like, if yeah. they weren't going to get the battle of LA, uh, they got to see the Clippers humiliated. So that's the next best thing. Like, <laughs> it, it was all going to take place in a bubble in Florida, far away. It's like we're not. It's not yeah, as fun. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. That's a good point. Apparently, the battle for LA is simply just never going to happen. It's just not. It's just not going to be a thing. Yeah, this isn't going to take place. That's all right. Uh, can I we'll can see. I give you guys uh, a little a little gift before we get out of here? Of sure. Course. I have uh, I have I have something to share with you here, real quick. That uh, you you might you might be intrigued by. Let's see. Does that pop up as the screen share? Yeah. All right. We got. Wow. Look at you. Here, here no, he is. Have... Here, here he is. Wow. Oh, him up. Wow. Look at that. Look at this incredible yes. strength. This I mean, look at that. My, That's fully Michael, off of the ground. Nikola Jokic, a good foot off the ground. <laughs> I mean, and then, God, oh my God. God. <laughs> That's amazing. I, so. I hope he lifted with his legs. That looks yeah. photoshopped. It does look photoshopped. Oops, I got it out of there. But. Wow. By the way, excellent use of knowing your way around StreamYard, but um, we, need to learn, <laughs> we need to learn how to do that. <laughs> Second of all, uh, thank you for showing that because that is spectacular. Yeah. Um, okay. That Well, thank you. That was I'm glad I we, thought you'd we, enjoy we it. To see that. No, oh, that, was, great. that was amazing. Um, this has been a lot of fun. It should be a really fun series. Uh, and we really appreciate the time. Adam Morris from uh, DNVR Sports, the DNVR.com. Great place to get. Uh, if, you, if you're a Lakers fan and you want to check in on what's going on over there, get a little more information about the Nuggets to prepare prepare yourself, do it. Uh, listen to the podcast there. You can listen to uh, Adam with Anthony um, on within the Locked On Network. Uh, it's all kinds of places. And Again, thank you so much for the time. Reminder, 20% off at Delicious Pizza. Both locations when you tell them Cam Brothers sent you. West Adams, Hollywood. If you're ever in L.A., Adam, go to Delicious Pizza. It's really I good. I used to live in L.A. Oh. I, know it too, I know it too well, sadly. <laughs> well, no. Sadly, but uh, happily, depending right. on how you look. Uh, appreciate the time, man. Thank you. Thank you.